Welcome to the Why It Works podcast. I'm Joe Kwan, your host. Together, we'll pull back the curtain to reveal the hidden principles behind why things work. Things work for a reason. Let's find out why. Today's podcast is sponsored by Mizzen and Maine, next generation dress shirts that breathe, stretch, and wick away moisture. They require no ironing, no dry cleaning, and are machine washable. For a limited time, on orders of over $100, listeners of Why It Works will receive $25 off. To receive your discount, go to the show notes at www.joquanjo.com slash whyitworks and click on the Mizzen and Main link in the sponsor section. Here with us today is Gail Smith-McCarthy, a manager at KPMG. With a career spanning over 20 years, Gail has always believed that opportunities and potential for success are limitless when you love what you do. Through her experiences as a people manager, mentor, and leader of extracurricular programs, she has developed a unique insight into performance management. We speak to Gail from her home on a balmy autumn day. Welcome, Gail, to the Why It Works podcast, and thank you for being here. Thanks, Joe. It's so good to be here doing this with you. I'm really excited. Me too. So this is not our first collaboration. In fact, out of all the guests I've had to date, you're probably the one I've collaborated with the most, and we don't even work in the same building or department. (laughs) (laughs) Funny how that works, right? I've really enjoyed our collaborations, so I was wondering, how do you approach collaboration? Well, you know, I I try to approach collaboration with a people element to things and and the the psychology behind that in terms of when you have a good foundation of trust and a good foundation where you feel comfortable in each other's presence, collaboration just kind of flows from there and and, and it can go much smoother. You You can do things much easier, much faster. Maybe even the bumps in the road aren't as bumpy because you have that, you know, you've got each other's back and you're working together. You know, you're all moving in the same direction. So I try to introduce an element of showing the human side of myself and Mm -hmm. realizing that not everything I say or do is going to be perfect and we may mess up and and that's okay. Let's just kind of figure out how to to get to whatever finish line we're trying to get to. And also, even if I'm not in the same room with with that person or the people that I'm collaborating with, I try to just make sure that we're all keeping things in common and, and keeping in touch and just making sure that we're all having fun or <laughs> trying to have as much fun as we can, because I know that sometimes, depending on what you're working on, it's, it's not always fun. But, you know, you try to have fun in the process and just figure it out as you go along. Yeah. You know, one of the things you mentioned just now is the trust, I feel, is so key. And, you know, sometimes we don't really understand that well what we're doing to build or to destroy trust. Mm-hmm. But I feel like any collaboration which isn't built on a foundation of trust is, is really doomed to failure. Definitely. Either that or it just won't move as quickly or as, as smoothly as, as you would like it to or as it could. Great. Let's get to know you a little better. Tell us what you do, but break it down as if you were explaining it to a five-year-old. Well, I think we're we're approaching the end of, of the unofficial summer season because obviously it's autumn already, but we're still kind of having some warm weather. But I want to hold on to it as long as possible. So I have a beach metaphor for you. Okay. So if I'm gonna tell if I'm gonna tell you what I do, let's say you want to build a sandcastle. And let's say you 
want to you're on the beach and uh-huh. you've got your buckets and you know what you what you want your castle to look like obviously to build a sand castle you have to use that sand that's not powdery and fine and blows away easily you have to use the moist sand so to do that you need to use the sand that's near the waves and and near the water but you also don't want to build your sand castle too far too near too close to the water because the waves can come in and wash your castle away. So some people may choose to fill up their bucket with sand and go back to the sandy place and, you know, arrange that bucket and then go back to the water and get more. Uh-huh. So what I would do is to come in and say, well, you know, if you if you want to build the sand castle, but you want to do it as quickly as possible, here are some things that you may want to consider. How about you get all the sand that you think you're going to need first Get your materials together, put it where you want, and then you can then you can be more efficient in how you build your castle. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like I help people to figure out how to do things more efficiently, how to problem solve, and how to get to their goal in a way that expends the least amount of effort. Right, right. So it's the thing that they were going to do anyway, but you help them Im- improve or make better how they get to that result. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I am so happy you're here today to talk about the topic of performance management, and let me tell you why. One thing I've always admired about you is how authentic and genuine you are in the way you talk about and approach things. Mm-hmm. And while we haven't always agreed in you know, everything we do in our collaborations, which is not necessarily a bad thing, you've always conducted yourself in a way that you know, respects both parties and, and helps us find the right path forward. And in my mind, this is a pretty rare skill and, and one that I think is crucial in performance management. Well, thank you. I, I, it's, it's nice to know that, that I'm thought of and seen that way because it's, it's important to me to carry myself that way and for people to feel comfortable in that way. So thank you for those kind words. Oh, absolutely. My pleasure. What would you say most people managers, maybe those dealing with managing a team for the first time, misunderstand about performance management? Oh, boy. Well, I think there are a few things. But uh, one is that managers, once you become a manager, somehow, and I'll talk about this a little bit later in our conversation, but Uh somehow managers have these magical powers and they can change the universe and do all types (laughs) of things that, that people without management responsibilities can do. And I think that that's not the case. Uh, and and I, without going into more, I'll, I'll talk about it a little later. But I think sure. that's one thing that, that people, they may go into their new manager role thinking with big aspirations about things that they can do and will do. But then they kind of realize that they need to temper those a little bit and figure out maybe another way of, of getting things done because they won't necessarily have all of the power that they think that they might. And another one is I think that Managing is not just about telling people what to do. It's not uh-huh. just about, okay, I have this thought in my head and I'm going to leverage somebody to, to do exactly what I'm thinking in my head and get something done in the way that I was thinking. I think that there's a lot more collaboration that's required in proper management than people might initially think when they're starting to manage people. Great insights. Today's episode, we're going to kind of look at it from two angles. One, performance management when you are the one doing the work, so managing yourself. Uh, And then we'll take a look at performance management as a manager of other people. So now you are uh, responsible for managing other people's performance. Perfect. All right. So let's take a look at this first clip, which talks about performance management in terms of managing yourself. 
I am particularly proud and happy about the young filmmakers, actors, singers, writers, producers that are coming up behind my generation. In particular, Barry Jenkins. Young people understand this young man made 10, 15, 20 short films before he got the opportunity to make Moonlight. So never give up. Without commitment, you'll never start. But more importantly, without consistency, you'll never finish. It's not easy. If it was easy, there'd be no Kerry Washington. If it was easy, there'd be no Taraji Henson, P. Henson. <laughs> if it were easy, there'd be no Octavia Spencer. But not only that, if it were easy, there'd be no Viola Davis. If it were easy, there'd be no Michael T. Williamson, no Stephen McKinley Henderson, no Russell Hornsby. If it were easy, there'd be no Denzel Washington. So keep working. Keep striving, never give up, fall down seven times, get up eight. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. Ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship. So keep moving, keep growing, keep learning. See you at work. Wow. <laughs> what did you take away from Denzel's speech, Gail? I mean, does Denzel ever have something that he says that's not like loaded with nuggets of knowledge and wisdom? It's, he's just amazing. Um, and I love the way he ends with see you at work as if he's saying, you know, this is nice and all, but it's, it's, not, the, it's not the primary reason why I'm here. Like I'm here to put in the work, which is that's awesome. That's right. That's right. Um, but I think one of the things that, that came through in his message was the fact that success does not come immediately. You know, you, you have to, well, you have to do a couple of things. One, you have to prove yourself, but you also have to give yourself time to be successful. So he gave the example of the gentleman who did Moonlight. And he said, look, that wasn't his first, his first attempt. He did a number of, of smaller things that didn't get all the recognition before he all of a sudden had this, you know, huge Oscar winning movie. So, you know, you may fall down seven times, get up eight, I believe is what he said. Uh -huh. um, but also the importance of consistency and continuing to show who you are, show your brand by being consistent so that people learn what you're capable of. I did love the, the quote, ease is a greater threat to progress than hardship because yeah. when it's easy, you don't really have anything to build on. I mean, you don't want to walk into every performance review and just hear about how great you are, you know, especially earlier in my career. I remember mm -hmm. wanting to walk in asking, I, I think I used to actually use these words, all right, tell me the bad stuff first. And it's not really <laughs> bad, obviously. It's not, it's not like it's bad, but, you know, people kind of think of it in, in that regard sometimes. But in fact, that was the really good stuff because that's the stuff that, that everybody should be thirsty for in terms of what can I do better and how can I do better? So, you know, you, you really have to kind of get in there and, and dig in and push through the difficult time so that you can be better. Nothing, nothing that's, that's worth having comes easy, as they say. Um, but I, I used to be a people manager and I've managed a couple of people who just constantly got in their own way because they thought they knew it all. And, 
you know, they, they were always right and someone else was always wrong. And it's so frustrating and it's almost a heartbreaking thing because you can see them from the outside in a way that they can't as their manager and as somebody who's looking at their work and sometimes the recipient of their work. And you know that until they take that wall down of, you know, I'm perfect and I just need someone to see that, their progress is never really going to accelerate in the way that you know it can. So I think Denzel, he's got a lot of, a lot of good things to say in that speech right there. You know, you made me think about something um, as you were explaining all that, all those great insights, Gail, you know, how success is not immediate and, you know, you need to put in the time and, and there's the hardship. We often think about successful performers as having some great talent or ability, but the way you were describing it, it, it made me realize that a lot of what makes people great is the ability to take that feedback, understand their weaknesses, not blame other people, and to constantly improve and become better and better. And that's not like a technical skill, right? That's like a personal mm-hmm. kind of ownership. That's controlling your ego. That's yeah. being humble. That's mm-hmm. got so much less to do with, you know, what kind of grade you would get on something or how quickly you pick up a concept. You know, you can pick up concepts quickly, but if you can't understand when your concept is wrong and, mm-hmm. and adapt to it, then you're really kind of limiting yourself. It's true. And that's something that you can't really train somebody to do. Like they have to, they have to embrace that and realize it for themselves that that's what they need to do. You can tell them, sure. but it's, it's not really a train of, I've found that you, you, you can't train somebody to do that. It's, it has, to, it's almost like they need to reach their own moment of enlightenment that, yes. Hey, you know, this is, this is what I need to do if I want to, if I want to proceed ahead. Yeah, absolutely. Great insights. So sometimes we need a wake-up call and are lucky enough to get one. So kind of goes <laughs> along the lines of what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. And that's my problem because... Oh, wait, no, no it's I, not my I problem. Really, I don't know what else I can do because um, if I do something right, it's unacknowledged. She doesn't even say thank you. But if I do something wrong, she is vicious. So quit. What? Quit. Quit. I can get another girl to take your job in five minutes. One who really wants it. But I, I, no, I don't want to quit. That's not fair. But I, you know, I'm just saying that I would just like a little credit for the fact that I'm killing myself trying. Ugh, Andy. Be serious. You are not trying. You are whining. What is it that you want me to say to you, huh? Do you want me to say, poor you, Miranda's picking on you, poor you, poor Andy? Hmm? Wake up, Six. She's just doing her job. Don't you know that you were working at the place that published some of the greatest artists of the century? Halston, Lagerfeld, De La Renta. And what they did, what they created, was greater than art. Because you live your life in it. Well, not you, obviously, but some people. You think this is just a magazine? Hmm? This is not just a magazine. This is a shining beacon of hope for... Oh, I don't know. Let's say a young boy growing up in Rhode Island with six brothers pretending to go to soccer practice when he was really going to sewing class and reading Runway under the covers at night with a flashlight. You have no idea how many legends have walked these halls. And what's worse, you don't care. Because this place where so many people 
would die to work. You only deign to work. And you want to know why she doesn't kiss you on the forehead and give you a gold star on your homework at the end of the day. Wake up, sweetheart. Okay, so I'm screwing it up. Mm. I, mean, I don't want to. I just wish that I knew what I could do to... What's your reaction to this, Gail? Oh, I love, I just, I love this movie for, for so many reasons. <laughs> um, the funny thing is, the first time I saw this movie, it was right around the time I found out that I was going to be managing a team. Mm-hmm. And the next time I saw this movie, it was several years later when I had been managing the team for a while. Mm-hmm. And each of those times, I saw this scene in two completely different ways. Okay. Um, the first time, I was much more on the side of, of Anne Hathaway's character, Andrea. Mm-hmm. But the second time, I was applauding Stanley Tucci's character, which is Nigel. <laughs> and I think what I see, and, and ever since then, I've been kind of more understanding where Nigel is coming from a little bit more and, and really mm-hmm. a fan of, of what he has to say and, and how he treats the situation with Anne Hathaway's character. But she's working, obviously, with a difficult manager. Okay. And, and it's somebody or she, somebody who she perceives as difficult. And mm-hmm. and I think there's also a little bit of a style thing going on. And, and mm-hmm. outside of the context of, of this particular scene, for those who have seen the movie, I think they're familiar with, with what I'm saying, where, you know, it's <laughs> she has to just figure out how to adapt to her boss's style. Mm-hmm. But I always say that when you're in sync with your job, it may not always be easy, but it's much easier. So here we're seeing Nigel helping Andrea to understand that in order to perform at her best, she needs to see the bigger picture of her role and what's going on around her. Instead of just saying, oh, woe is me, I'm killing myself. And he's like, no, you're not really. You're, you're just complaining. You're not really putting yourself into this role to really understand what it is that, that, you're, that you're in. And so there was somewhat of a transformation after this conversation in real life, I know this isn't always possible. Sometimes it's just not a fit and you have to decide if, you know, how much you can, how much you can invest of yourself within your role. And sometimes people decide that it's not a fit and, and they move on. But I think that it's really about owning and, and taking, taking ownership and seeing the bigger picture about what your role is. I remember one, one position that I was in many years ago and I used to, see it as more transactional. You know, I would see it as here are the things that I do and here, here are the, you know, the day-to-day kind of checkbox items that I do. And one day I woke up and realized that what I really do, I'm in the business of customer service. Uh And that changed how I interacted with the people who were my clients. They were internal, but they were customers. And it it changed the way that I would see when they would approach with issues or things that came up. I was in the business of customer service, not just, you know, checking a box or making a phone call or or putting somebody in touch with this person. So in, in this case here with this scene, it's really the same thing where she needs to realize and understand that even though and I think she was definitely right in that her boss certainly had some issues that I would never defend because <laughs> some of the, <laughs> the behaviors of her boss were just deplorable. But right, right. Um, 
you know, I think she had to understand that her boss was in a, a certain position and trying to achieve certain things as well. And Anne Hathaway's character's job was really to help support those things. And in order to really do that, she needed to step into the role and to understand yes. a little bit more, which is, you know, obviously what what ended up happening later in a transformative kind of way. But that's what I see. And, and that's why I love this scene so much because Nigel was the one to give her that wake up call. You know, she didn't, if she had gone home, let's say to her boyfriend or one of her friends and, and had the same conversation, they would have validated everything she was saying. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, she can't stand you. Why are Just you quit. Her? Just quit. And, and sometimes people do that. You know, they go to that safe zone where they have a conversation with people who they know are going to agree with them. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Meanwhile, sometimes what you really need is to go and have a conversation with somebody who's going to tell you not what you want to hear, but Uh what you need to hear. And sometimes those two things are not going to be the same message. And I think so the fact that she had this conversation with with this character, with Stanley Tucci's character, really helped her to transform herself and to change the way she approached her job and really to change the way she was seen at her job, too. What I love about what you're saying about this, Gail, is the fact that the Andy character, you know, as difficult as her boss was, and I think most people wouldn't argue that point, mm-hmm. she really had no chance of pleasing her boss because of her own kind of, I don't want to say selfish, but her own kind of like narrow view of what the job was and mm-hmm. what she wanted to do. And I want to be appreciated. And she really, it was kind of obvious, you know, to, 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 the guy she's talking to here, as well as probably to everyone else in the organization, mm-hmm. that she doesn't really care. It's, it's just a job to her. So how right. is she ever going to be able to have any chance of dealing with, a, with her difficult boss if she doesn't figure that out? So I think that was kind of a gift that, uh, that the, this guy like, told her, like, this is what, sh- what you're screwing up. You know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's, you need those truth tellers in your lives. You really do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a whole nother issue why people don't tell us the truth <laughs> all right great great thanks so much for that yep next up is a musician who has had tremendous success across various roles and groups i've always loved recording even when i was like 12 years old i would, I would write songs about my dog and i would make these demos in my house where I'd record, I'd do multi-tracking at home, where I'd record a guitar on a cassette, and then I'd take that cassette and put it into another player and hit play, and then I'd hit record on this and sing along to it, so then I had a cassette with a vocal and a guitar, and I'd put that in the thing and hit play, and then I'd record with another cassette of me playing drums to it, and then I'd have me as like a whole band. If you have that in you, if you're like passionate about doing something like that, then it's all you need. Like I never took lessons to play music, I just decided, I'm going to try and do it. So, Gail, what can we learn from Dave Grohl? I just love Dave Grohl. I'm a huge fan of what he stands for. I love the Foo Fighters and just how they execute their job. I mean, I could have done an entire podcast with (laughs) Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters sound bites related to performance and performance management. But um, in this clip, I, I actually see two perspectives. I see some takeaways from a person as the performer and as the manager of performance. From the perspective of the person performing or being managed, um, who's managing their own performance, it's it's that theme of really 
trying to put yourself in a position where you love what you do. I mean, you may not be able to love everything. We can't all be rock stars and travel around the world. But if you can at least find something about what you're doing to love, that will allow you to pour yourself into it and even take more risks. And all of those things will undoubtedly result in better performance. Uh I remember a couple of times in my career when I was in short-term assignments, and at first I did not love them. I mean, there was nothing about them that I loved. But in some of those cases, I was quickly able to find and grow aspects of those jobs that tapped into things that I actually did love, like writing and training and So I was able to have more elements of that job, which included those things, and that sparked my motivation. But in other cases, there were, there was just not anything about those roles that I was going to love. And in those cases, I just had to realize that I was helping in a way that help was obviously needed because they were roles that I was asked to come and step into and and help out to, to turn some things around or, you know, get something off the ground. So I just had it in my head that I'm people are needing my help here. So I just need to do my best. And sometimes that's, that's all there is too. But really going back to the point that Dave was making, when you have that passion, mm-hmm. it's, it's limitless in terms of what you can do. And you'll find a way, you'll find a way to, to make things happen. I mean, you know, he, he just was talking about how he really loved to make music and he loved to record and, and he found a way to, to make that happen. So from the perspective of someone managing the performance of others, I think the message in what he was saying is that there's no cookbook, you know, there's no, there's no, I mean, obviously when you become a manager, you go to training and you can read articles and read books, but having come from my own experience, I I found, and, and in talking with others who have managed people before that you can go to all the training in the world, but there's really no no real recipe book that's going to give you all the answers. Uh There are many roads to the same end result and you just have to use the tools you have and figure it out. Especially as I was getting to before with the question that you asked earlier, Uh for people who have never managed other people before, there's a perception that, you know, you have all of this power and you can do Uh all of these things. But a lot of the time, and especially if you're not in one of those lofty corner offices where you have a really fancy title where you're, you know, managing a whole organization of people, you're sometimes limited in terms of traditional performance management tools, like um, how much of an increase or a bonus you can give somebody, which is part of managing performance, obviously, with rewarding and so forth, or even how much you can leverage some of the formal reward and recognition channels. There may be limits, there may be years when somebody on your team has really gone above and beyond, but the pool of money just isn't there. So you have to think about, okay, what do I want to achieve here? And sometimes you have to go off road and just get super creative to get there. So when it comes to things like rewarding someone or building a career path for someone within your group, um, and even steering performance back on track, sometimes you have to just throw away everything that you may have learned and, and kind of, you know, do some exploratory surgery, if you will. So in Dave's case, he said, hmm, well, I'm just one dude and I need to be a band. So <laughs> how do I do that? And I'm guessing he didn't know the, the actual word multi-track at the time. He just uh-huh. did his thing. He did this thing where he recorded some stuff and then he went Amazing. and played it. And, re- and then eventually that led, it, led him 
to his first Foo Fighters demo, and here we are today talking about him on this podcast. So go, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, one thing that's really amazing that you 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 pulled out of uh, this is the concept how if you find that thing that you know really powers you and are able to align that with your work it's mm -hmm. you're like unstoppable and yeah. the thing that i find interesting though is you know you and you know you and me you know people who are probably more mid career right like we're not mm -hmm. just starting out mm -hmm. we often kind of put ourselves in a little bit of a prison, right? We're like, oh, we've invested all this and we've established this and, and oh, I realize that, you know, I really love this, but what is the cost of switching over? And, right. and, and like, you know, we think that there's a cost and there is obviously, mm -hmm. but there's nothing really stopping us from doing something different and shifting into something maybe that we really love. We're basically stopping ourselves, right? Like if I, if I went to my wife and I said, honey, you know, I'm really passionate. I want to do this. Mm -hmm. You know, she would say, are we still going to be able to pay the mortgage? Or we couldn't? <laughs> like, you know, Hey, if, if this is really what's going to, you know, make you happy, you know, go for it. I would mm -hmm. think that she would support me. But a lot of times what happens is you're like, no, no, no. You don't even ask the question. You're like, yeah, why would I do that? That's crazy. What would my parents think? What would my friends think? I would never do that. So we, we will almost take ourselves out of the game in a way. Mm -hmm. It's very true. It's, it's that whole concept of sometimes the one standing in our way is ourselves. Yeah. You know, we have to get out of our own way sometimes, get out of our own head and, and stop thinking about, oh no, the worst thing that can happen if we do this. What about the best thing that can happen if we do X, Y, and Z? I mean, it's, it's one of those things that we really need to change our mind, our mindset and, and say, you know what? I trust myself. Let's, let's go for this. Let's try it. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Gail. Mm -hmm. Let's shift gears and take a look at things from the perspective of the manager. Here's a show I know we are both big fans of. What's going on with JD here, Gail? Oh, this is a, a great example. And, and this show has so many great life lessons, but it's a short clip. I, I think it packs a big punch as far as the message goes. Mm -hmm. And you were asking before about potential misconceptions that new managers may have. And this is a good example of, of one of those. It's, it's a people manager who has forgotten what his actual role is. Because with, season, with less seasoned managers and maybe even more seasoned managers too, because I've seen it play out with them. But managers sometimes forget that their role is critical in, in the performance and the outcome of the performance of the people that they're managing. 
So Zach Braff's character, JD, has a newer doctor he's supposed to be teaching, but that doctor keeps messing things up. And <laughs> JD keeps having to clean up his messes. So just before the scene, JD had expressed his frustration to the student and the student quit. So mm -hmm. when, when JD goes and complains to one of his coworkers, as we see, looking for confirmation, she's not pulling any punches. So she lays it out that essentially how somebody performs is largely a reflection of the manager. Mm. And so we also find out in that in that same sequence that the staff had said the same thing about JD when he first started as, as he's now saying about his protege, which, which implies that JD actually received good guidance and good leadership and that uh -huh. helped him to be successful along the way. So and I think obviously there is some self accountability as well. But when you think about it, the role of a people manager when it comes to performance is to provide the appropriate, clear guidance. And so that mm. means teaching, rewarding, correcting, and I mean, even in some cases, but hopefully not many cases, disciplining when needed, and also with consistency. So like many times in my career, I've seen cases when I hear a manager expressing frustration about a direct report mm. and me being on the outside, I can plainly see where the problem is. And the right. problem is the manager isn't giving clear guidance or they're not rewarding or correcting or disciplining. And they're just wondering like, what's wrong with this person? Why isn't this person doing this? Or why is this person doing that? It's almost the flip side of what I was talking about earlier when someone just can't see that they're in their own way. So if that manager would realize, you know, this, this direct report is actually a mirror to my management, then they can say, you know, maybe they're not, maybe I'm doing something. Maybe there's something that I'm doing or not doing that that needs to be fixed. Maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not being clear enough with my expectations. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm not rewarding the right things. Maybe I'm not, not rewarding the right things or, or what have you. So I think this was a really, it's a, it's a great scene because Carla says, no, he didn't fail. You failed because you're supposed to be the one teaching him. Yeah. And I think it's, it's just, it's, I remember the first time I saw that that episode and I was it was a light bulb moment for me because I think it was also when I had first started managing people I think mm -hmm. and I was like wow that's so true and and I don't think I was even thinking about it so much in that way back then so um, yeah love scrubs lots of life lessons with scrubs <laughs> <laughs> one thing that I think is is super humbling as a as a manager is when you do come to that realization like you were saying that it's not the person's job to just take orders and do what you want them to do well and read your mind. It's, it's more like you're kind of in a symbiotic system. Of course, mm -hmm. you're the leader and, and you're taking a more directive nature, mm -hmm. but you have to accommodate and understand what that other person is about, what they're capable of, how they communicate, all the things that you were drawing out. Yes. And it's not just enough to say, hey, it worked before, and, or this is what my boss did for me, so why doesn't this person get it? It's obviously their fault. They're mm -hmm. not a good employee. And I think it's pretty easy, especially for newer managers and even some senior managers to fall into that trap. Yeah. And especially if, if you're managing somebody who may be, I don't necessarily want to say it's always about 
years of experience, but sometimes mm -hmm. if somebody who's more junior, earlier in their career, or just somebody who's not as forthcoming, to be able to say, here's what I need, here's mm -hmm. what I need from you as a manager. Some people just either don't have the experience or the knowledge or even necessarily the courage to say that to mm -hmm. the person mm -hmm. who's managing them. And I, but I think it's important, it's an important conversation in whatever way, shape or form to have. Yeah, this is the second time I think courage has come up in you know, or been implied in our conversation here. I, I, I think that's a big thing, right? The the courage to face yourself, the courage to face others. Yeah, it's a lot easier just to say, you know what, I, it's uncomfortable. I'm just gonna pretend it doesn't exist or deal with it in some other way. But uh, I think that doesn't help you achieve your full potential. Exactly. Okay. Again, getting in one, getting in their own way, right? <laughs> That's another theme that seems to come up a lot in this conversation. All right, we're going to retitle this episode to "Blaming Yourself for All Your Problems." <laughs> all right, great. Now there are lots of management styles, and not all are created equal. Uh, let's take a stark look at one particular type. Come in. Am I disturbing you? Not at all. <laughs> Musician. Yes. Classical, contemporary, jazz. Ah. Is there something I can do for you, Captain? Are you aware of our plans to attack the Kardashian invasion fleet? Yes, sir. I understand you've been talking to every shuttle pilot on board. Let's drop the ranks for a moment. I don't like you. I think you're insubordinate, arrogant, willful, and I don't think you're a particularly good first officer. But you are also the best pilot on the ship. Well, now that the ranks are dropped, Captain, I don't like you either. You are arrogant and closed-minded. You need to control everything and everyone. You don't provide an atmosphere of trust, and you don't inspire these people to go out of their way for you. You've got everybody wound up so tight. There's no joy in anything. I don't think you're a particularly good captain. I won't order you to fly this mission. Then ask me. Will you pilot the shuttle, Commander? Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> is this reality or science fiction, Gail? Unfortunately, it is reality. <laughs> I love the, the, the line, I won't order you to fly this mission. And Riker says, then just ask me. <laughs> I think I think that speaks volumes to how leadership really should be. You know, it's it's not about ordering people around. It's about finding a way to inspire people so that they want to do things for you as a as a leader. But I I love this clip because it pretty much outlines the description of a bad leader. Maybe military aside, I think maybe in the military it's a little bit different because it mm. is very hierarchical, but 
I think it also hints on how to be a good leader. But anyone out there who's listening to this podcast and who's about to take on a people management role, mm. I think if, if they listen to Will Riker's description of Jellico, the, mm. the captain, that's everything not to be. <laughs> that's how not to manage your people. Um, and it's funny because I've actually experienced that kind of leader, not okay. directly, but sure. directly enough. And it's it's just never a good look. I'm, I'm, it's not impressive at all, <laughs> ever. So um, what do you think might drive that sort of leadership style? Is it fear, insecurity, not knowing? I mean, well, I mean, obviously, there's lots of people out there who lead in that way. And I just wonder what your thoughts are and how they got to that point. I think that in a lot of cases, there were people who either never were turned on to the reality of some of the misconceptions we were talking about before, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, I think that being a leader is telling people what to do and not asking questions, just doing what I ask them to do, or not even ask them, but doing what I tell them to do. And they may have gotten results that way. Mm -hmm. And because they've gotten results and because results are such a big part of the picture for performance management, people have either overlooked how they've gotten those results or they just maybe didn't necessarily care how they got the results as long as they got them. Or maybe they just figure, you know what, nobody's really complaining too loudly and mm -hmm. it just costs too much money and time to replace this person and I don't have time to coach them and train them. So I'm just going to let it be. And I think, mm. you know, people have just ascended, you know, higher and higher in the ranks in that way. And it's unfortunate. One of the things that I'm very big on is, and very important to me is emotional intelligence. Mm. And I think that it should play a big role in, in how, how people are looked at with regard to their promotability as far as being a leader and being a leader of bigger and bigger organizations. And, and I, I think it's just so important. I mean, they say you catch more flies with honey than vinegar. And I think there is a way to get results and to do great things without having this type of style. One of the great things I'm hearing out of this, uh, out of your insight scale is just because something works or is effective doesn't make that the right choice. Right. You know, so there could be something that works and maybe you hit your numbers or you deliver something on time. But if if the long term effect is not right or you damage the team or create additional turnover or encourage unethical behavior over the long run, it, it's really the wrong decision. And the results are just kind of um, a, a disguise or a charade or a, a temporary victory when over the long term, it's actually going to hurt the organization. Right, exactly. I was I was thinking the word sustainable. It's not a sustainable mm -hmm, model yes. because you can order people around and tell them what to do and they'll do it. But the minute your authority dissipates, mm -hmm. that's one way of, of making that go away. But also there may be, you may get somebody who decides they're not going to take that and they may go to, you know, they may go and complain or they may just decide that they're not going to do it. And, you know, insubordination aside, the 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 goal fails basically you know you don't reach the goal you don't get things done that you need to to be done but whatever the reason it's not a sustainable model it's it's a much more effective productive fruitful model to create an environment where people want to do what their leader wants them to do even if it's hard i mean there may be yeah. really tough times i mean that's that's where it's really important when there are really tough times people will go to bat for you and they will they will 
you know, walk through wind and rain and snow and storms for you if, if you've inspired them to, to want to do that. Yeah, I think that's an important distinction you just made, Gail. It's, it's not all about a leader being kumbaya and making things easy and comfortable for their people. You're still holding them accountable and asking for them to do difficult things, but in a way that they're motivated to do it for the greater cause or for the team or for their own professionalism and not because of some fear-based mm-hmm. tactic. Yeah. And I think one of the things you were saying before in an, in an earlier clip was the fact that leaders need to, to know their people. They need to mm-hmm. understand their people. And, and what I said earlier, creating a relationship where people get to know each other and understand each other more as people and not just, you know, what, what are we here to do? I think one thing that, that I noticed in this clip was when Jellicoe first walked into Riker's quarters and he noticed mm-hmm. the trumpet, it was obvious that he didn't know Riker was a musician. He didn't know the mm-hmm. kind of music he played. He didn't, you know, he didn't know he was a jazz musician. And to me, I may be taking liberties here because I, I don't watch Star Trek very often, but mm-hmm. to me, that speaks to the fact that there wasn't much of a relationship established at any point right. in the past. And they really should, people managers should make a, a point to do that. If you're just looking at someone for what they can do, then they're, they're probably missing out on a whole lot. Um, it could be anything from what maybe some quote unquote secret skills that they have that yes. you may be able to leverage to fill a gap on your team. You may look at somebody at what they're good at, but that's not necessarily what they want to be doing, or it's not necessarily everything that they're capable of. So there's, there's really just a lot to, to look at. Motivations. People are motivated by different things. If you're not getting to know people for who they are, let's say you're busy trying to throw money at somebody, but uh-huh. All they really want is higher visibility on their projects or right. all they really want is maybe, um, I don't know, a fancier title. You know, if, right. if you don't know what, what drives them, then you're not speaking their language and it's, it, things could fall apart pretty easily. Great insights, Cal. So this next one is something you shared, a video you shared with me. So thank you. I hadn't seen it before. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It's an awesome pep talk, unlike any you've ever heard before. The world needs you to stop being boring. Yeah, you. Boring is easy. Everybody can be boring, but you're gooder than that. Life is not a game, people. Life isn't a cereal either. Well, it is a cereal. And if life is a game, are we on the same team? I mean, really, right? I'm on your team. Be on my team. This is life, people. You got air coming through your nose. You got heartbeat. That means it's time to do something. A poem. Two roads diverged in the woods, and I took the road less traveled. It hurt, man! Really bad. Rocks, thorns, and glass. My pants broke. Not cool, Robert Frost. But what if there were were two paths? I won't be in the one that leads to awesome. It's like that dude Journey said, don't stop believing. Unless you dream stupid, then you should get a better dream. I think that's how it goes. Get a better dream and keep going. Keep going, keep going, and keep going. Will Michael Jordan have quit? Well, he did quit. So he retired. Yeah, yes, he retired. But before that, in high school, what if he quit when he didn't make the team? He would have never made Space Jam. And I love Space Jam. What will be your Space Jam? What will you create will make the world awesome? What do you think about this, Gail? 
Oh, if I was starting a project, I think I'd want Kid President to kick it off for me because <laughs> you just want to you just want to go and move mountains for this kid. He's just I think it's it's um and I don't know. I, I think it, it it has nothing to do with performance management directly mm-hmm. and everything to do at the same time. It's just very motivating. It talks about just finding your place and and figuring it all out, figuring out what you want to be and and collaboration. You know, we're all on the same team. Just figuring out where what direction. He said, if there are just two paths, I want to be on the one that leads to awesome. I mean, who doesn't, right? I think we should all kind of take that that mindset and and run with it. But I just I I really think it's a it's a great message that he talks about, especially the part when he's talking about the path through the woods and things are hard and, and mm-hmm. it hurt and but you kind of have to push through it. So I think pushing through and, and getting to that point of awesome is is another one of the takeaways here. And I, I also like he says it's everybody's duty to give the world a reason to dance, which to me it says everybody has something to contribute when it mm-hmm. comes to their performance. They may mm-hmm. not have the same path as the person sitting in the cube or the office or the seat next to them, but it's knowing yourself and knowing what you have to, what your skills are, what your strengths are and stepping up and saying, you know, here's, here's what I'd like to contribute. Here's how I can make a difference on your team or make a difference in this department or even in this, in this company. What I love about this video is how the kid president really, and you've described so many of these uh, in what you just said, the humanity of what it means to be not just an employee, but like a human being moving through the world and contributing and having joy and bringing joy. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like sometimes when we're at work and you're under deadlines and there's pressure and you know there's stakes, that can tend to get lost a little bit. And that's actually the opposite of what you need. You actually need more humanity to, to help right. accomplish difficult things, not less in a, in a strange sort of way. Definitely. And sometimes that comes from giving, I find. So yes. I know that no matter how busy, sometimes things get really intense in my job and really mm. busy, but I find that I always will make, you know how they say like when you're, you could, when you're eating, you can be as full as, as, as you can be, but still somehow there's room for dessert. Yep. <laughs> so it's kind of like when, when I'm, even when things are intense and busy, I always somehow find room to give. So some of the extracurricular, like the networks that that you and I are both part of or or other ways, mentoring, or I just, I find that that really is what feeds my energy, especially in those times when I'm feeling drained. It's, it's a, it's counterintuitive, but that brings me joy knowing that Mm. I'm somehow finding a way to help others and to, to bring joy or knowledge or insight to, to others. That's why I love this video. It's just such a very feel good message. And, and he talks about keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. And, and uh, until you reach your goal. And it, it reminds me of the line in the Aerosmith song, dream on, dream on, dream on, dream yeah. until your dreams come true. Yeah, I think that's a great note to end on. It's been a real treat to talk to you and hear your insights on performance management. What takeaways would you like to share with the audience? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on this on this podcast. It's been a real pleasure talking with you and getting to collaborate with you in this way. I think for the people who are being managed, it's really important to take control of 
what your performance is. Meaning mm. if you have skills that are not being used that you would like your manager to know about, you should bring those up. If there are skills that you would really like to be applying that you feel would make your job better, that you feel would make you more passionate about your job, that would make you enjoy your job better, talk to your manager because there could be gaps that they're looking to fill and they don't necessarily know that you have these skills. So it's really important to do that. I think it's also important to make sure you're not standing in your own way. Make sure you're being open to feedback that can make you better. You know, even the best performer mm -hmm. can improve. So you need to understand no matter how great you think your performance is, and it may be great, you should also be open to and encourage your manager to give you that feedback about what you can do to further grow and to further develop and to further sharpen your skills. And for the people who are managing people, mm -hmm. very important to listen. Make sure that you are getting to know your people as individuals, not just for what they do when they're on the clock, what their motivations are, what their fears are, what turns them on, turns them off as far as things that spark them. And also make sure that you're not sacrificing results for that emotional intelligence, meaning make sure that you're doing both. There's a way to get results and to make sure that people are giving you their best without making them feel that they're disposable because that can certainly backfire and, and nobody would win in that type of situation. I just hope that everybody listening has gotten some insight from what Joe and I have talked about today and can help to make your performance or performance management much better. Great. Thank you, Gail, for sharing your insights on why it works. Thank you. Like Coffee and Work Breaks, a great book to go with this podcast is FYI, For Your Improvement, by Michael Lombardo and Robert Eichinger. It's a favorite of Gail's with respect to performance management. To receive a free copy of FYI or another audiobook of your choice, just go to audibletrial.com slash why it works. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash why it works for your free audiobook. To support our show, please leave a rating or comment or become a sponsor of Why It Works by going to www.patreon.com slash why it works. That's www.patreon.com slash why it works. Thank you. And remember, the enemy of learning is boring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Why It Works. For more information about Joe Kwanjo coaching, as well as access to my articles, videos, and podcasts, visit joquanjo.com. And stay tuned for our next Why It Works adventure.